The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Hello. My name's Ron Harper, and I'm a lay pastor here at Maranatha Chapel. And uh, some of you might know me from way back. I was a junior high pastor about 30 years ago. Uh, yeah, if you do, you might have you know, three kids and on your second house by now. But, uh, uh, and also was men's ministry pastor and, and just really uh, uh, excited to have served here. And um, you know, so sad to uh, see the Lord take Ray, but uh, God has exciting things out ahead for us. In fact, you get the privilege of being part of history of Maranatha. We've never done this before. Uh, but I want to uh, share uh, a little bit. But if the uh, pastors and the church board would come out. And Jill. We've been seeking the Lord uh, while we've been grieving and having such great memories of our time with Ray leading us. Uh, you know, Chuck Smith had laid his hands on Pastor Ray. Uh, Pastor Mike had and, and saw the gifts in him and the sparks of what would be. And I think of the verse, uh, 2 Timothy 1.6, fan into the flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands, Paul said to Timothy. And uh, Ray laid hands on Daniel uh, and had him be the uh, high school pastor many, many years ago. And uh, he did a great job. My kids uh, loved <laughs> being with him. There's some adventures. Uh, we had to come get my son one time with uh, something with firecrackers and a lizard. <laughs> and uh, I was out of town, so he had to... <laughs> take care of the situation, but uh, he has served the Lord faithfully, and, um, and he could have taken the easy route, been here just following in his dad's footsteps, but uh, God had called them as a family to go to Colorado and to uh, plant a church from scratch, and they brought with them their uh, two kids, Ben and Quinn, at the time, uh, and gone up there with nothing and no church, and it wasn't an extremely church-friendly environment there. And so then we went as a family, uh, Ray and Vicki and uh, my wife Cheryl and I and Dan and Jill up there, and Dan had us do some hard work with him. We uh, had us go door to door uh, in some of the new neighborhoods just uh, sharing the love of Jesus with people, telling about new church being planted. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and it was exciting to see that Daniel was not taking things for granted. Daniel was cherishing every single person. Every person was willing to lead. He saw them as crucial to the ministry, and, and they felt that. We went back years later with uh, Ray and Vicki, a couple times uh, went back there, and saw the fruit of his ministry. That uh, some of the families that we had visited for the very first time that they were in the church. 
uh, being part of it, that he, they administered to these families. And those families now were uh, helping serve in the ministry. And so uh, Ray had a, a couple times when I went with him out there, had said, Daniel, you're doing a great job. Now come home, come back and, and, and be with us here, serve. He so much wanted Daniel to be here, but Daniel was saying, the Lord's called me here, and he hasn't called me back yet. And so he did the hard work. Um, I would say I, I, I respect him so much for doing that, for earning his stripes, for uh, paying his dues, for um, being a servant, and learning to value every single person and not taking the easy way. And uh, uh, the Lord knows, but uh, they brought... Uh, Daniel and Jill and his family back to San Diego and had a good time of being in the office next door to his dad and, and then ministering side by side. And we thought, you know, Ray was going to keep on going uh, like his dad in his 90s. They had a good 30 years out ahead of him. Uh, and we didn't know that God's timing was different, that God was ready to take him home. And God has a new work, an exciting work. And uh, so we didn't take it for granted as pastors and uh, the church board. We prayed and asked God, what, what do you want? Who is going to lead us? Who's going to be our senior pastor? And to a person, to a man, that every single person was uh, confirmed that Daniel, Pastor Dan, is going to be our senior pastor, not because he was the son, because he was the one that God had called. We'd seen God's calling on him. We'd seen uh, that spark turn into a flame Amen. that he'd fanned and, uh, and seen his gifts and seen the fruit of his ministry. And so we are going to, you know, not that we're anything special, we're just servants, but we saw God laying his hands on him. We see God anointing him. So now we're going to lay hands on him, and we're going to uh, anoint him as senior pastor of Maranatha Chapel. We've never done that before in the history of this church. Ray was the first founding pastor, and so you're part of history. So if you also see God's hand on Daniel, and see his giftedness and fruit, and are willing to accept him as your pastor, I ask that you would stand up, and that you would lift your hands out also with us, as we do, as we anoint him. Lord, we come to you humbly. We lost Pastor Ray, and we didn't understand all the reasons why. And we still don't understand but we just sit at your feet and we want to learn from you. We want to be filled with your spirit. We want to follow you every step. And now we have such an exciting chapter that we've seen your hand and your anointing and your giftedness and the fruit of your spirit on Daniel and on the people that he's touched and the families and the changed lives and just the ripple effect. A spiritual tsunami, Lord. And we just ask that this 
is nothing compared to what you're going to do in the future. And because we are going to stand by his side and hold up his arms and be his armor bearers, and that it's not just a calling on his life, it's a calling on all of our lives, that we love you, we want to serve you, and as Daniel has been a servant leader, we are going to follow his lead. We're going to be, have open hearts and open arms and love him and serve beside him and just help fan his gifts into flame. That it would turn into a great fire and great bonfire and a wildfire. It's out of control. It's spreading to us, our families, our community, beyond and around the world, Lord. And we're part of history. And that the multitude of witnesses are looking down now and cheering and stretching their hands out, Lord. We just thank you. And we just now anoint you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a senior pastor of Maranatha and his servant. In Jesus' name, amen. an incredible group of men right there. And I am so humbled and honored to get to serve alongside of these, these men and, and the women here on the team at Maranatha. We have an incredible team. God has blessed this church. And I am honored to serve as your pastor. And I will freely admit that I don't have all the answers. I don't always know the right way to go, and I don't always know what to do. But praise God, we have this book, we have the Holy Spirit, and the senior pastor, the real senior pastor of this church is Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I will build my church. So this is his church, which takes all the pressure off of me. This is the Lord's church. And he gave us this confidence. He said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So we're going to do some damage to the enemy together. We're going to, we're going to see God do incredible things. I, I am very confident about that. And very blessed, very blessed. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it with me to 
Second Samuel chapter five, and um, just a couple of things by way of announcement as we get into the word. Next, this next weekend is obviously um, very special around here. On Friday, we have my dad's services at 1 p.m., and we hope to see you there. And and um, if you can't make it in person, those will be live streamed. You can pick that up. And then next weekend, my dad's really great friend, John Spencer, is coming out from Florida, and he's going to be sharing with us. And it's just going to be an opportunity for me to just dedicate the weekend to being with my mom and, and family and, and just grieving. And so John Spencer will be here. You won't want to miss that. He is an incredible Bible teacher. And then the following weekend when I get back, what we're going to do is we're just going to hop right back into the book of Colossians and pick up where my dad left off, just working our way through the word verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I'm sure this was already mentioned, but just want to reiterate that as well, on January 26th, Jonathan Kahn is going to be here. And he's a celebrated author, wonderful uh, brother in the Lord, and can't wait to hear what he has to share. But tonight, we're going to talk about this idea of breakthrough. This was the word that God had given to my father for this year. And he was so excited to share it with you. And my dad and I love to talk about the word and what God is putting on his heart. And he was so excited to share with me that this word that God had given him for the year was, was breakthrough. And he pointed me to this story in 2 Samuel chapter 5. And, and we're going to dig into that. But before we get to our text, I want to just capture the idea of breakthrough. What do you think of when you think of a breakthrough? For me, I, I don't know why, but the first thought I had was, have you ever been walking down the street or maybe in a parking lot or maybe you're walking down the sidewalk and you see like a little plant or perhaps a tree that has broken through the concrete? Against all odds, this little seedling or perhaps a tree is broken through. And, and that's kind of what I picture and that's what I think of when I think of breakthrough. You see, breakthroughs happen in that area of your life that you want to stamp the word impossible over. And so as we get started tonight, what I want you to think of is where is the area in your life that you want to see breakthrough? There are areas in your life where it seems like it's impossible. Change can't come. It's been too long. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in the area of your health. Or maybe there's an area of your spiritual life that you want to see God bring breakthrough to. You see, the first step to experiencing breakthrough is identifying where you want to see it happen. And I would encourage you to be specific. God, I want you to bring breakthrough in my kids' hearts. I want you to draw them back to you. And you get very specific with that. And, and we're going to see that take place in our story tonight. Because as we, as we look at this story, what we're going to see is God bringing breakthrough into David's life in the most incredible way. But, but before we get to the real heart of our text, I, I have to back up for context's sake. Because there was something that I read in the first part of the chapter that really just struck me. Because again, this was a text that my dad was getting ready to preach on and, and handed to me, essentially. And so verse 3 of chapter 5, let's begin there. It says this, when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And listen, and they anointed David king over Israel. 
What I want you to see is this moment represents the culmination of years of preparation. The word had spoken, the, the Lord had spoken a word over David years earlier, and, and, and this was the moment that all of that prophecy had been leading up to. You see, this was actually David's third anointing. The first anointing took place in the house of his father, Jesse. And there, David, as a young man, he was out tending his father's sheep. And Jesse, uh, Samuel, the prophet, comes to the house because God had rejected Saul as king. And so he sends Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. And Jesse parades all of his sons past Samuel. And Samuel's like, no, this isn't the one. This isn't the one. This isn't the one. And he goes, do you have any others? And Jesse's like, oh, yeah, my youngest, David, he's out with the sheep. Thanks, dad. <laughs> you know, didn't even bother to call him in. So confident was he that he wasn't the one. And so he gets called in, and the Lord says, this is the one. And so Samuel goes and anoints David. And, and in that moment, David is anointed as the future king of Israel. His second anointing took place years later. Years pass. And then finally, David is anointed again. But this time, he's anointed as the king over the southern tribe of Judah. But now we come to his third anointing. And this one is extremely significant. Because here, David is finally crowned as the king over all of Israel. And the interesting thing to note is that there were nearly two decades of time that passed between David's first anointing and his third anointing. David's path to the throne wasn't a straight line, in other words. There were lots of twists and turns that I'm sure he didn't see coming, but those years weren't wasted. You see, God was using that time to prepare David, to shape him for his calling. He was a shepherd, and as a shepherd, he learned how to care for the flock. He was a soldier, and as a soldier, he learned how to receive orders and to give orders. And then he was a fugitive on the run for his life. And in that context, he learned how to trust God for every step that he took. And all these lessons that he learned over that 20-year span would serve him well when the time came for him to lead the kingdom. And the thing that you need to see is that what God did for David, he's doing for you. This is the first real point in our outline of application. You see, God has prepared you for your purpose. God has prepared you for your purpose. You see, God has a plan for your life. That's what I want you to know. And he's working out that plan. God doesn't make mistakes. You are not an accident. You are here on purpose and for a purpose. Contrary to what you may have been taught growing up in school, you are not the result of millions upon millions of accidents. God thought of you before you were even a gleam in your parents' eyes, and he knit you and fashioned you together in your mother's womb, and he has a plan and a purpose and a future and a hope mapped out for your life. But the hard part for us is learning how to trust that process. Don't you think David wondered that from time to time? I mean, I'm sure he did. God, remember when you sent Samuel to anoint me as king, and yet here I am, tending my father's sheep, or here I am running from Saul, a breath between me and death. And David had all of these questions, but over the course of time, he learned to trust the Lord's timing and to trust the Lord's process. And you should know that the bigger the calling that God has on your life, the bigger the groundwork that has to be laid. That's how it works. 
And I, I see my, my own story. And you know, they say hindsight is 2020. But looking back, I can see how God has been preparing me for this calling, this purpose, this season for my whole life. It's all been preparation for this season. I mean, you could go as far back as the family that I grew up in. I mean, day one, I, I got to grow up in a home and receive a master class from my father on what it means to be a shepherd of the flock of God. I got a master class on pastoral leadership. And then even my journey in ministry was part of God's process in preparing me for the calling that he had on my life. Ron mentioned how this isn't my first stint at Maranatha. I, I served here and worked here a number of years ago. But before I was even the high school pastor, after completing Bible college, my dad hired me on. And the first job that I had here at the church was as a janitor. And, and so, you know, after you guys would come through and make a mess, I would stay late into the night and we would be cleaning toilets and cleaning gum off the underside of pews. And, and, and we just had a blast doing it. It was so much fun. And in that season, at the time, I didn't realize it yet, but God was preparing me and teaching me about what it means to be a servant. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, then learn to be the servant of all. And my dad showed so much wisdom in hiring me on in that role, and I learned so much about serving. Then, of course, as Ron mentioned, God moved my family and I to Colorado. And, and at the time, it was like I, I really had a heart to go, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And, and I had a platform here. I was teaching here. I was leading worship here. I was even on the radio throughout Southern California here on K-Wave. And, and so I had a platform. I had opportunities to, to lead and serve. And, and so why did God take us to Colorado? And the thing, looking back on it, that I see now is that God was teaching me how to lead. And, and here, I was always under the arm and under the protective care of my dad. But out there, you know, when you're the, the leader of the, the move or the organization or the church, then everything kind of matriculates up to you. And so I learned how to carry that weight. I learned how to lead. And then when he brought us back two and a half years ago, again, there were, there were questions in our mind. And we thought, maybe he's bringing us back for this, or maybe he's bringing us back for that, or maybe... And it was, it was a lot of things, but ultimately, looking back, I can see that God brought us back two and a half years ago so that I would have that season of time to knit my hearts with this church. So that I'm not just this guy sweeping in from out of nowhere, and you're like, I don't know you, and I can't trust you. And it was an opportunity for my heart to be knit with yours and my heart to be knit with the pastoral staff here as well. And so it was all part of the process. And the point that I'm trying to drive home is this. God knows how to get you to your calling. And you think, Lord, what is happening in my life? You need to understand that everything that is happening to you right now is preparation for the purpose and the calling that God has on your life. It was true of David, and it's true of you. God is preparing you right now for the things that he has prepared for you. Does that make sense? And so God prepares David for this season. He is finally crowned as king of Israel. And we might expect, you know, the curtains to fall and the credits to roll and the, the parade to begin, but not so fast. Not everyone was excited about David assuming the throne. Jump to verse 17. It says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it 
And he went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread, spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So while Israel is rejoicing, David is our king, the Philistines are fuming. And they come up in full force to take David out. It's worth pointing out that after each one of David's anointings, he experienced increased blessing and increased opposition. By the way, those two things tend to go hand in hand. After his first anointing, where he was brought into the king's court, he attained national notoriety and prominence, but he also had to face Goliath. After his second anointing, he was recognized as the king over the tribe of Judah, but it also ushered him into this season where the house of David and the house of Saul were at odds with one another, and there was constant warfare between them. And here, after his third anointing, he's finally crowned king over all of Israel, but this time it brought the entire Philistine army against him. Notice how verse 18 says that they spread out in the valley of Rephaim. That was a means by which the Philistines were trying to make a show of force. They wanted to intimidate and scare David. Actually, elsewhere in scripture, this, this particular valley is referred to as the Valley of Giants. So think about that. After David's first anointing, it was just one giant, albeit a nine foot six giant. This time, it's not just one, but it's an entire valley of giants. So the, the next point in our application outline is this. There is no breakthrough without a battle. If you want to see breakthrough in your life, and, and we already identified there are areas for each of us where we want to see God bring a breakthrough, then you better prepare yourself for a battle. In fact, the term breakthrough, it was originally coined as a military term. That's where the word stems from. And here's the concept. And I quote, a breakthrough occurs when an offensive force breaks through an opponent's defensive line at a strategic location. So as an example of this, think of the Allied forces invasion of the beaches of Normandy during the Second World War on D-Day, right? That beach was strategic ground and the enemy knew it. That's why they, they sent a lot of troops there and concentrated their forces there and defended it so hard because they knew this is strategic ground. And so they fought to the death for it. And in the end, of course, the Allied forces broke through their line and won the battle. And, and that day changed the course of the war. And what you need to know is that similarly, there is strategic ground, as it were, in your heart, in your life, that the enemy doesn't want to surrender. And that's where the battle comes in. You see, the enemy, he's not just going to roll over and hand you the victory and just be like, here you go. No. It's something you're going to have to fight for. And we're reminded of this throughout scripture. I want to give you a cross-reference. This one comes to us from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. It says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a, a battle taking place in the heavens above us, all around us at all times. And if the veil could be lifted, we would see 
the heaven's armies engaged in battle against the forces of darkness. And maybe you feel that in your own life tonight. I mean, have you ever felt like the enemy was just coming against you full force? I mean, my hand is up right now. Somebody say amen. Amen. Those seasons in your life where it just seems like it's an attack after an attack after an attack. If that's you tonight, let me just say this. You should take that as a compliment. You really should. Because the enemy doesn't attack except for where he sees the anointing. Where he sees the hand of God resting, that's where he focuses his fiery darts. That's where he focuses his attention. He doesn't bother with people who aren't making a difference for the kingdom. But whenever and wherever he sees the anointing of God resting on an individual's life, he immediately sets out to oppose him. The greater the anointing, the greater the opposition. The greater the calling, the bigger the conflict. There's a saying that goes like this, new levels bring new devils. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And our problem is this, too often, we want the breakthrough without the battle, right? We want all the blessings without having to walk in obedience. We want the six pack without giving up Doritos. (laughs) We want to walk on water without having to climb out of the boat, but it just doesn't work that way. And what scripture teaches us is if you're praying for a breakthrough, if you want to see a breakthrough in your life, then you better get ready for a battle. So if we're entering into a battle, then we need a battle strategy. So this is the battle strategy for breakthrough. We find it here in in verse 17, where the first part of it anyway, where it says, when they went up in full force to search for him, David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. So the first thing that David does, and you might want to jot this down, is he runs to the Lord. When the enemy came up to look for him, he went down to his stronghold. Now, in biblical times, a stronghold referred to a natural rock outcropping or a high place or a mountain that offered protection and safety from the enemy. But we knew that ultimately, David wasn't just running to a fortified place. He was running to the Lord. You see, David learned how to do that in those years that he spent on the run from King Saul. He learned that his his refuge wasn't just a physical place. It wasn't just a cave that he could hide in. His refuge, his stronghold was the Lord. And you say, that's reading into the text a little bit, don't you think? Hold on. David tells us that very thing in verse, uh, Psalm 18, verse 2. Listen to this. He said, the Lord is my rock. In fact, I want us to read this together. Will you read it out loud with me? The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So when David runs to his stronghold, he's not running away in fear from his enemies. He's running in confidence to the Lord. So that's the first step. If you want your strategy for breakthrough, the first thing you do when the enemy comes against you in full force is you run right to the Lord. And the second thing you do is exactly what David did. You pray. What we read about David doing is inquiring of the Lord. We see this in verse 19. So David inquired of the Lord. And that's just another word for prayer. By the way, 
This is what made David a man after God's own heart. We talk about David and, and the sweet songs that he would write. But really, when you get down to the heart of it, the thing that made David a man after God's own heart was his penchant for prayer for reaching out to God, for crying out to the Lord. He ran to the Lord. And that is so striking because it, it tells us so much about him. And, and so too does the fact that we read what he didn't do. He didn't inquire of his generals. We don't read of him inquiring of his cabinet. For that matter, we don't read about him doing what we so often do when we're faced with a crisis or a dilemma, some situation that we don't know how to handle or confront. He, he didn't run to his peers and ask for their counsel or take a poll on social media. Should I? Should I cut the hair? Should I grow it long? You know. David instead, he inquires of the Lord. He goes directly to the Lord. And here's the lesson for us. The closer you get to God, the closer you will be to your breakthrough. Let me say that again. The closer you get to God, the closer you will be to your breakthrough. You see, far too often, we only turn to the Lord as a last resort, right? We've tried everything else. And you can even hear this in the way we pray sometimes. It's like, well, we've done everything we can do. I guess all you can do now is pray, right? It's like, wait a minute. We don't turn to prayer as a last resort. Prayer is our first response. Why? Because it's in prayer that we gain the heart of the Lord. It's in prayer that we receive our marching orders. It's in prayer that God speaks to us and we pour out our heart to him. And that's exactly what David found. He cried out to God, verse 19. He inquired of the Lord and he said, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And listen, the Lord answered him, go. For I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. You see, when David sought the Lord in prayer, God gave him the battle plan. And this is so key in our strategy for experiencing breakthrough. We need to hear the voice of the Lord. And as your pastor, my main job and responsibility is to spend time with the Lord, to hear the voice of the Lord, and to point this church in the direction of where God is steering us. Amen? Amen. So that's my commitment to you. But it's also something God calls all of us to do. Why? Because one God idea is worth or better, far greater than a thousand good ideas. Amen? And God's knowledge is perfect. He can calculate things from every possible angle. He knows every potential outcome. And so when you get the heart of your heavenly father, you're getting the absolute best advice. In this instance, God tells David to go out and attack the enemy and take the fight to them rather than hold a defensive posture and wait for the enemy to come to him. And so we read that God said, go, and David went. This is that crucial and all-important step of obedience. When God says jump, we say, how high? When God says go, we go. God tells David, this is the plan, and David responds in obedience, and that is such a key. And now we come to the real heart of this text in verse 20, where it says, so David went to Baal Parism, and there he defeated them. 
He said, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perizim, and the Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God gives David the victory. And while it may have been David's sword, it was the Lord's hand guiding him, right? It was David's army, but it was God's victory. And so David names this place Baal Parism. It's an interesting phrase. It literally can be translated to the God of breakthroughs. This is where David experienced his breakthrough on this battlefield. And what we're reminded of through this text is simply this. Our God is a God of breakthroughs. There are so many different names that God is known by throughout scripture. I mean, Moses referred to him as Jehovah Nissi, which means the Lord, my banner. David, in another part of scripture, a famous part of scripture, refers to God as Jehovah Rophi, which means the Lord, my shepherd. Jeremiah referred to him as Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord, my righteousness. Is anyone else thankful that the Lord is our righteousness? And we don't have to come up with our own righteousness, but he imputes or gifts his righteousness to us. And here David gives us another name for God. He expands our understanding of who God is when he calls God the God of breakthroughs or Baal Parism. And the interesting thing about that is David doesn't go with the Hebrew word for God, which would be Jehovah, but he goes with the Philistine name for God, which is Baal. And there's been a lot of speculation as to why he did that. My understanding is that he did it to rub in on the Philistines the fact that their God was defeated by the one true God. He says that the Lord went before him that day like a flood of water and swept away all of his enemies. I thought it was interesting. Earlier this afternoon, my family and I were driving on the 56 freeway towards the beach, and my wife's phone goes right around, I don't know what it was, 1 o'clock, 12 o'clock, something like that. Evidently, there was a tsunami or warning for, for all the beaches in Southern California. Anybody else get that ping or emergency warning? I didn't get it. So evidently, they didn't think I was worthy of getting this warning. But my wife did. And I don't know if any, my, my cousin Ron was down at the beach. He said, yeah, a couple waves came in. Not, not too much, but... Just this idea of a surge of water. We know how powerful water can be. I mean, think about some of these tsunamis, like the one that hit Japan in 2011, or Hurricane Katrina, just the surge of water. You can't stop it. Or for that matter, think of what God did to the Egyptians after he parted the Red Sea. And the Israelites crossed on dry ground, and the last Israelites stepped out of the banks of the Red Sea. And then the Egyptians pursued after them and followed them into the Red Sea. And then God swallowed them up. We experienced the power of water. And that's what God did to the Philistines that day. He swept them away. He wiped them out. I read this last week that Hoover Dam in Nevada, it, it is holding back some 10 trillion gallons of water. Can you imagine if that thing were to ever burst and that water just spill out on the valley before, the before, below? That's what God did to the Philistines. When Israel attacked, David's like, oh my gosh, it's just like a flood. They all fell, and God handed us the victory. So much so that verse 21 tells us the Philistines abandoned their idols there, and the Israelites carried them off. Now, I see humor in this, right? I mean, 
They brought their little idols with them into the battle. Yeah, these gods are going to give us the victory. And then God just wipes them out through the hands of the Israelite army. And they're just like, ah, and they drop their idols and they run away. It's like, as they're running away, I can picture them just turning to the other guy like, oh, man, that was crazy. Did you get God? I thought you had him. Oh, no, we left God. We dropped him in the mud. And the Israelites were able to you know, chuck him in the fire or whatever. We forgot God. But here's the, the real point of this story. This, this battle here, it's significant. If you know anything about the history of the Israelites and the Philistines, the Philistines and the Israelites, they were perpetual enemies of one another. And this particular battle represented a major turning point in the tide of that war. You see, up until this time, the Philistines had pretty much more or less had their way with the Israelites. They owned them on the battlefield. Sometimes you see this happen in sports, where a particular team just seems to have the other team's number, and they just beat them time after time after time. I was reading about the Division I Yukon women's basketball team and how during an incredible stretch, they won 111 consecutive games without losing. Imagine that, 111 games. During this incredible run, which spanned some 887 days, they won two consecutive national championships. And the game where they happened to break the record was against a school called SMU, whom they beat that day for, listen to this, the 91st time in a row. (laughs) It's hard to call it a rivalry if you've lost 91 times in a row. I mean, can you even imagine it? That was the Israelites with the Philistines. It's like they go into battle, and they lose, and they lose, and they lose. They had never been defeated or dislodged. Not going all the way back to the days of Joshua. Joshua, who conquered the land of promise, he couldn't even drive them out. During the time of the judges, they continued to be a perpetual thorn in the side of the Israelites. And even during the time in the reign of King Saul, they continued to plague the Israelites. In fact, they were the ones who ultimately defeated and killed Saul and his sons. Until, until this day. This battle proved to be the turning point. And from this time on, David and the Israelites never lost to the the Philistines again. The spiritual tide of victory had turned. Friends, this is what you call a breakthrough moment. And so let's personalize this. As we think about those areas of our lives that we have experienced continual defeat, and perhaps some of you are wondering, is is victory even a possibility for me in this area of my life? Maybe you're going on, I mean, you passed 91 defeats a long time ago, and the enemy is just running up the score on you. What should you do? You think, I'll never beat my addiction. I'll never beat this habit. I'll never beat this feeling of rejection. Or I'll never overcome my anxiety. Or I'll never get a handle on my temper. What should you do? David here provides us with the answers. We keep running to the Lord. We keep inquiring of him. We keep doing what he says, and we trust that in the Lord's timing, the breakthrough will come. You guys, you see, I believe today could be your day. 
the day that God brings breakthrough into your life in that area that you've been praying for. He wants to give you victory over your depression, victory over your sin, victory over your illness, victory over the enemy in your life. I love this verse. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And again, I would love it if we could read it together. It says this, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. He takes us from glory to glory. He leads us in triumph in Christ. Our God came to bring you an abundant life. He doesn't want you walking around in continual defeat. Jesus didn't die a bloody death on a cross just so you could eke out an existence and squeak your way into heaven. Jesus came so that you could storm the gates of hell and take the captives and set them free and that you could walk in this fullness of life that Jesus came to bring. That's why we're here. And yet, even after God provides this incredible victory for the Israelites, we read in verse 22 that once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. This is unbelievable. They'd just been completely wiped out, yet somehow they're able to regroup. And isn't this just like our enemy? He never really goes away. He just regroups. He shifts strategies. And he waits for a more opportune time. So what did David do? Look at verse 23. So David inquired of the Lord again. And he answered, do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. And as soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. Man, I love this part of the story. They come up again. David inquires of the Lord again. And you need to remember that new battles require new strategies because you can't always rely on what God did yesterday and the word that he gave you yesterday for today's battle. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And so we need fresh insights from the Lord. This is the importance of daily seeking the Lord in his word, spending time in prayer, getting those marching orders from him. And this time, God says, I want you to circle around back. And I want you to watch the trees. Watch the trees. And when you see the wind blowing through the trees and rustling the leaves, that's the sign. Take them. The Lord is going before you. And so David has his eyes on the trees. He sees the spirit move, and he takes out his enemy. Where do you need a breakthrough today? I'm here to remind you of one simple truth. We serve and worship a God of breakthroughs. Let's follow King David's lead. Let's seek the Lord. Let's run to the Lord together. Let's be specific in identifying and asking God really specific questions. God, do you want me to go here? Do you want me to do this? And then let's listen with ready ears to obey and respond in faith as the Lord speaks to us. And then we'll begin to see those breakthroughs, and we'll catalog them, and we'll celebrate them, and we'll take out the enemy, and it will be a fun journey along the way. Amen? Let's go ahead and and pray. Father God, I I want to pray specifically right now for my brothers and sisters who have experienced defeat. And they don't know much of anything about this 
victory. But we know that the cross, the tree, the ultimate tree, is what secures every one of our victories. Jesus, we believe that you are a God of breakthroughs and that you are breaking through in this room, that you are breaking through in this moment, that you are here with us as we open your word, as we seek your face, as we worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, we know that you're here. And we're confident of this very thing, that you're not done moving, that you're not done working, that you're not done saving, that you're not done healing, that you're not done performing miracles, that you're not done because we're not dead. And God, you have a plan and a purpose, and you are working that plan and that purpose out in our lives. So we want to link up with you. We want to gain your heart. We want to walk in obedience, and we want to experience those breakthroughs. Thank you, Jesus, that you're a God of breakthroughs. We worship you now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.